welcome again to Every Nation Church, Las Vegas. Like Pastor Roland said, my name is Matt. I'm the associate pastor here. And we've been in a series on the book of Acts. And we've been learning what we could from the examples and lives of different people, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the Holy Spirit. And we've been taking these lessons and applying it to our own lives so we could see God move in our lives and act in our lives, but also so that we can fulfill the command that Jesus laid out at the very beginning of the book, which is to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. But before we get back into the book of Acts, we're going to reenact one of my favorite things that happened in school. And I'm very well aware that I'm probably in the minority on this, but all of my other nerds can speak up when I say that I liked it when we had a pop quiz. Oh, yeah. This is about what I expected. Did anyone like a pop quiz? Yay! Right, what's up? Okay, cool. All right, nerds. What's up? Good to see you guys. I'm glad I'm not alone. Thank you for being here with me today. It was a way for me to find temporary worth and validation before I learned how to find those things in Jesus. So don't judge me too much. But today, we're going to have a pop quiz. And it's a pop quiz based on the Bible. Why is no one excited? Thanks, Mom. <laughs> All right, so let's do this. Uh, I'll, I'll, we will lead into the message from here, but I'll ask a question. And if you know the answer, shout it out loud, okay? All right, question number one. What book in the Bible shares its name with a video game console? Yes! Shout out to the gamers and the hip-hop people. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. <laughs> yeah, so Genesis, first book in the Bible, the beginning of all things, Sega Genesis, Sonic the Hedgehog. Good times, man. Real good times. Question two. In the book of Judges, there was a female judge who led the people of Israel. She was not Judge Judy. She was an incredible leader. What was her name? Deborah. All the ladies are like, this is Deborah. I was over here excited to say it's Deborah. Deborah is a leader that any of us can learn from. Man and women, go ahead and read about her. Spend more time on the life of Deborah than the life of someone like Judge Judy. We'll do pretty good with that. Uh, number three, let's do, um, okay. So one of the Old Testament prophets was commanded by God to marry a prostitute. And this became a picture of God's faithful love that pursues us even when we are unfaithful to him. And of course, this is it's Hosea. Hosea. Anyway, okay, let's get to the book of Acts now. Let's, uh, let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, at the end of the book, a man comes and he had sold his field, and he took all the proceeds from it, and he gave it to the apostles, and he brought it to them. It's like, all of this is for God's kingdom. Who was it? Yeah, it's very specific. His name is Joseph, who is also called Barnabas. And this, of course, is the Barnabas that we hear about for the rest of the book. It's where we meet him, Acts chapter 4. Now, last question. This is going to lead directly into our time together in God's Word. In Acts chapter 13, the very first mission trip takes place. Who leads the mission trip? It's Barnabas. Barnabas, Paul, their team, their crew, Luke the doctor is on that team. So that was the very first mission trip, and that is what we're going to talk about as we get to the Word of God today. Uh, Barnabas and Paul together set this incredible example on how to effectively engage the mission of God. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 13. We're going to consider the message that they carried, the mission that they were on, and learn from the example of the methods that they use so that we can answer the question, what is missing 
in the mission. Specifically, what's missing in my own approach to the mission of God and the way that I discover purpose in him. So, we're going to get to that and we'll actually take one more pop quiz that's a little more helpful and pop and consequential. But first, let's pray. Let's come to God together. Lord, we thank you for the great opportunity to gather in public and meet together and enjoy your presence and enjoy each other and learn from your word. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to understand and perceive the message that Barnabas and Paul carried. Lord, learn and participate in the mission that you called them to and that you called us to. And then to find out what we can from the mission that they went on, the methods that they used, and to take what we can from the example that they set. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Acts chapter 13, Barnabas and Paul went on a mission trip to change the world. And it's not a stretch by any means to say that. Uh, if you followed with us throughout the book of Acts, you would notice that the focus of the book had changed over time. And if you want to think about the book of Acts like a movie, it would start with Jesus ascending into the sky and going back to the right hand of God. And then the setting for the beginning of this movie would be in and around Jerusalem. The areas nearby, the main character is probably Peter. We're following him as he's preaching on the day of Pentecost and people come to know Christ. We're following him as he and John walk near the temple and they see a man sitting at the gate on the side. And they say to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And they peel the guy and they preach and it's just this incredible and exciting time. But as this movie or as this book goes on, we start to see the focus change. And we begin to see other people brought into the picture. And of course, this follows the martyrdom of Stephen, the first person killed for his faith. And people are persecuted and they're chased out of Jerusalem. So now we're seeing Philip go to Samaria. And Samaria placed their faith in Christ. We're seeing Saul, who becomes Paul, walk on the road to Damascus and encounter Jesus. Pastor Roland talked about that last week. And then it's almost like we can end the movie here and kind of go on to the next installment. It's like Avengers and then Avengers Infinity War, something along those lines. Because now we find ourselves at the church in Antioch. And this begins the next major part of the book of Acts. Because from here on out, we're going to follow the journey of Paul and Barnabas and everybody that touches, uh, crosses paths with them along the way. So this is how this next major part, next major move of God begins in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through five. It's our main text. We'll come back to this throughout today. The Bible says this, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, that was normal back then, um, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, it's a port town, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John, this is John the Apostle, to assist them. So this is the start of the first mission trip ever, and the spread of Christianity has continued on ever since. And you might have heard critics talk about the bad things that Christianity does. Well, you could make an even more compelling case about the big things, the good and positive things that Christianity has brought into the world. For example, literature and education exploded and moved forward because of Christianity. One example, we know that the Middle Ages changed things when commoners were able to access information 
through books, and books became more widespread. Books became more widespread because of the printing press invented by Johannes Gutenberg. Gutenberg invented the printing press so that people could have Bibles as a direct result of the desire to spread the gospel to people. The world changed and people learned to read and got smarter. Some of the world's leading universities started as seminaries. You could even argue that the very idea of a university came from Christianity and it finds its roots there. Abolitionist movements in England and then in America were led by followers of Christ and based on Christian theology. We can go on and on and on for ages about the positive things that Christianity has done and brought to the world. However, the single most important contribution that Christianity and Christians have to offer the world is Christ and the message of salvation that we find in him. Acts chapter 13 verse 47 says, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that's non-Jews like most of us, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That is the message that Barnabas and Paul carried with them as they went on this trip to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. But the very word salvation implies that we are saved from something. What on earth are we saved from? The thing that we're saved from is sin. Sin is a word that we've all heard before, but it can be thought of as any action or attitude that prioritizes some selfish desire at the cost of, a, of love and relationship for God and his people. When we really think about what sin is and what sin does, that's the heart of it. Selfishness gets places, placed on a pedestal, and relationship and love for God and for other people gets cast by the wayside. For example, I lie because I want to preserve myself. Self-preservation, that's the selfish desire that breaks relationship. I want to be included or feel cool, therefore I gossip. I feel greedy or I want a material thing, therefore I steal and hurt someone else to fulfill my selfish desire. I feel lustful and I want to act on my carnal urges, therefore I cheat. That's what sin is and that's what sin does. And as a result, sin ruins relationship. We have all seen friendships, families, Marriages, parent and child relationships, any possible kind of relationship fall apart and crumble because of sin. And in a very similar way, our relationship with God is broken too. Our sin offends and rejects and pushes aside a holy and perfect God. We say, this thing is more important to me than you are. And I'd rather have this. And in so doing, we cause distance between ourselves and God, and that's a problem because God is the source of all life and goodness. And when we separate ourselves from God, we separate ourselves from life and goodness. And that's why the ultimate consequence of sin is death because we've separated ourselves on a fundamental level from the source of all life. Physical death entered the world and became a part of the human experience because of sin. And eventually, because all have sinned and all are victims of sin, we all are doomed, apart from Christ, to spiritual death, which is permanent separation from the source of life that lasts forever. That is what we need to be saved from. And that is what Jesus Christ came to save us for. Only Jesus could fulfill the qualification to save us. Only he could do it. 
Jesus came and he lived a perfect moral life by God's standard, loving God, loving people along the way. And that life of perfection made Jesus the perfect sacrifice to step in and pay the price for our sin. God is just and he demands that somebody pay the price for the damage that sin caused. But God is also merciful. So God didn't want us to be the ones to pay the price for sin. So when Jesus came and became the perfect sacrifice, the justice and mercy of God perfectly intersected on the cross of Calvary so that Jesus paid our sin in our place. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he's the son of God. And now Jesus can offer us restoration to relationship with God, forgiveness of sin. We can find the purpose and meaning and love that we need in God forever. Eternal life starts when we start following Jesus, and it never ends. Jesus saved us from sin to eternity with God, perfectly fulfilled in him in a world free of sin and all of its consequence. That's the message of salvation that Barnabas and Paul brought to the world, and that's a message that we can bring to the world too. And we bring that message to the world when we make disciples. To make disciples is to participate in the very mission of God. Did you know that God is on a mission? A different way to think about mission is like, isn't there another Mission Impossible movie in theaters right now with Tom Cruise? What number is this? Like number 77? It's like actually number seven, right? How long is my guy going to keep doing this? Well, the Mission Impossible franchise has obviously been very successful, and it's captured the, intention, the attention of the world for decades, literally. But I, I think it's dope, so... Ethan Hunt can continue to do his thing. Now, the Mission Impossible franchise captures our attention because there's high stakes and great escapes and exciting things happening along the way. But the stakes of the mission of God are even greater than that. And there have been even greater stories along the way. Because as soon as Adam and Eve, our ancestors, sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, God went on a mission. And God could have let them wander off in their sin and shame and hide behind a bush and let them just wait and play hide and seek forever. But that's not what God did. God pursued them and said, Adam, Eve, where are you? It's like playing hide and seek with my kids. I know where they are. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's so that they can have fun. It's God asked them so they could respond. He was giving them a chance to respond, and he pursued them, and he confronted them, but he also made a promise. And his promise was that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, would come and step on the head of the serpent. And that first promise of the coming of the Messiah launched a mission that continued through the Old Testament. God chose the people of Israel to bring the Messiah into the world. That's why we read about them over and over and over again. And their people lead up to Jesus, both in ancestry and in example. So Moses, who lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery into freedom, is a foreshadow of Jesus, who brings us out of slavery to our sin and captured by death into freedom. Noah builds an ark that saves people from the flood. Jesus also comes in the New Testament and builds a, and carries a wooden cross and he saves us from the wrath of God. When David slays a giant that no one could beat named Goliath, Jesus comes in the New Testament and he slays giants called sin and death that no one could beat. All the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The prophets are pointing to Jesus. And then Jesus finally arrives and Jesus accomplishes the primary objective of God's mission. And the mission finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ because Christ has made salvation possible. 
Christ has made restoration and friendship with God and finding everything we need in him possible. But the mission was not complete because Jesus decided to take the mission and hand it to us. Barnabas and Paul were a part of this mission. And when we make disciples, we become a part of the mission of God too. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, Jesus said, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God has seen it fit to include us in his mission. And when we are included in the mission of God, we find a purpose that lasts longer than we do. We can participate in purpose with eternal ramifications. For essentially all of human history, people have to try to discover or decide purpose by themselves. And there is an element with which we must do that. We need to decide what to do for today. We need to decide what to eat for lunch. There are seasons of our lives where we can decide what to do for our living. And there is fulfillment and happiness and joy in that. However, those things are in, insufficient in order to become our source of ultimate purpose because the things that we live for don't last. I used to live for approval from people, checking achievements off my list of goals and then putting it on my resume. That's good, and we should do those things, but it didn't last. It didn't fulfill me. The things that we live for don't last, and we don't last. I was online this week, and there was a really cool online tour of the inside of the tomb of King Tut, and they've got drawings, and I'm sure there was treasure there, but he doesn't enjoy it now. That pyramid that was built don't matter. So we need to live for something that lasts in order to discover purpose that lasts. God lasts forever. And the impact that we can have on other people's lives through God lasts forever. So if we want to find a purpose that lasts forever, we should find it in God and participate in the mission of God. That's exactly what Barnabas and Paul were doing so when we think about their example in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, we can identify at least five different principles of effective mission. And that is our second pop quiz of the day. Yeah. We're going to take one more pop quiz today, and we can call it, What's Missing in My Approach to Mission? Now, I encourage you to think through these things and think about how it applies to your life. Interact with this little pop quiz However it fits you best, you don't need a passing grade to get into heaven. All you need is faith in Christ. That's good, thank God for that. Because I didn't do as well on this test as I wanted to. As I prepared the sermon and I tested myself by these standards and this example that Barnabas and Paul set, I rated myself on a scale of one to five based on how well I was doing in these things in my life right now. Different points in my life, different seasons, I've been a five at all of them. Right now, eh. I'll share as we go along. So if you're up for it, you can even take out your phone or take out a piece of paper and write down how you'd score yourself. Give yourself a five if you're excellent. Give yourself a one if you're not doing it and you can afford to, you know, take some steps. All right, number one, 
They had a church. The first principle of effective mission and engaging the mission of God effectively is a local church. Now, how do we see that in that passage in Acts chapter 13? Uh, It said that while they were worshiping God together, God began to speak to them. The word worship there in that instance in the New Testament is actually extremely specific. It's the Greek word liturgio. I mean, it describes public, official, formal worship. It describes the worship of the Levites, of the priests in the Old Testament, for example. The word liturgio is where we get the English word liturgy, which some of you might have heard before. It describes a form or style of public worship. Our liturgy is that we start with awesome music, and then somebody does a welcome, and somebody preaches a message from the Word of God. That's liturgy. So it's specifically in Acts chapter 13 describing the operation and activation of a local church. The local church is essential to the furthering of the mission of God. You can make a case that the primary way God advanced his kingdom in the New Testament is through local churches. When Paul and Barnabas went on this mission trip and they visited each city, what did they do before leaving the city? They started churches. Every stop along the way, the goal was to establish a church, start a church, plant a church before leaving. And then, as Paul begins to write the New Testament, as Peter and the author of Hebrews, they write the New Testament, they're writing to local churches and local church leaders. And then when the apostle John is on the island of Patmos, and Jesus appears to him in his glorified heavenly form, Jesus says, hey, write down seven letters to seven different churches. The local church is essential to the advancement of the kingdom of God. So if we want to be effective in engaging God's mission and finding purpose in that, then we need to engage a church. And the very fact that you're here listening to this in person means that you're doing that on some level. So congratulations. You deserve at least a three. I gave myself a five on this one. It's kind of my job. Professional Christian. Yeah. It's the only five I gave myself. Because the second one is community. And we see a list of people at the beginning of this chapter that represents a community. There was Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Manan and Saul. Right? There's a community of people. God called his people who believe in him, who follow him, to follow him as part of a community. When Jesus made the first call to the first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, he didn't call an individual. He called a community. And he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So Jesus wanted them to fish for men as a community. When we think about fishing today, I fish, I do this often. We often think about one fisherman with one fishing rod sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the tide roll away. But in the day of Christ, that's not what fishing usually looked like. Fishing was typically done in a community. That's why Peter, Andrew, James, and John were together in the first place. What probably happened was they took two boats, and they took a net between the boat, and they worked together to catch the fish. If we engage the mission of God together, we can catch more fish. And if we engage the mission of God as community, then we can reach more people. And that's ultimately what separates Christian community from a Christian clique. The willingness to engage mission together. Every Christian community must have moments of turning outward. How do I turn? You guys know what I mean. Turning outward. 
looking beyond themselves and looking to include people. And we've started to do a really good job of that as a church, and we can continue to move forward at that. On this one, I gave myself a four. I am in Christian community, multiple Christian communities. We have and we do reach out together, but I think there's room in my life for improvement. We can be more intentional, and we'll do that. So for now, I get a B minus, and you can score yourself if you see fit. And I was feeling really good at this point. Like, I got a five, and I got a four. God, show me in your word what's next. Show me another principle for mission. Then I noticed the third one was consistent prayer and fasting. Yeah. I want to go over that real fast. But we see repeatedly throughout the verse that God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to the church to send out Barnabas and Paul when they were worshiping and fasting. And as a result of what God said, they began to pray and fast. The repetition implies that this happened consistently, that this was a regular occurrence in their lives. Acts chapter 11 also alludes to this. We first meet the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. So what happened was that as people were scattered due to persecution for their faith and belief and love for Jesus, in Acts chapter 7, they ran for their lives. And as they ran for their lives, they began to preach the gospel wherever they went. So people started to share the gospel, and organically, as they told people about Jesus, the gospel spread from Jews to Greeks to more in Antioch. And Antioch kind of became the first ever organically started Gentile church. So the apostles in Jerusalem hear about this, and they're excited. And they send one of their all-stars to go and speak to the church at Antioch. That all-star was Barnabas. So Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, goes, and he can tell this church at Antioch anything. And this is a monumentous occasion. God has done an incredible thing in Antioch. And now one of the key leaders in the early church has gone to visit them. And he could read the book of Psalms. He could make them practice and rehearse the definition of the gospel. Instead, what he tells them is to remain faithful and steadfast purpose to the Lord. And in Greek, the best way to translate that is probably abide in the Lord with steadfast and resolute purpose to abide in God with resolute purpose. That's the message that he gives to the church in Antioch. So when we see them again in Acts chapter 13, they've learned to do that. And that's the reason why they're beginning to see the promise that Jesus made in John chapter 15 fulfilled in their lives. For whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that is why we must consistently abide in God through things like prayer and fasting. Now, I gave myself a three on this because I do pray consistently. I wake up every morning and I spend dedicated time in prayer. I pray throughout the day. I pray in the car. I pray when I'm washing the dishes. I pray when my kids, who are five and one, are driving me insane and I want to look like the father and I don't. I'm praying, but I realize that I'm not fasting. I'm like, man, I deserve it too. I better fast on Thursday. I fasted on Thursday so I could give myself three. That's what happened. <laughs> and it wasn't a lot. I, I, didn't, I didn't ascend into heaven like Jesus. I didn't fast. I fasted one meal because it's all I can handle right now. But if we make small incremental changes to our lives for us, because for some of you, 
Fasting more looks like fasting a whole day or fasting three days a month. For me, one meal a week. But that results in lifestyle change and consistency. And we walk with God from there. And we walk and we walk and we walk. So that's number three. The fourth principle of effective mission that we can find from that passage in Acts chapter 13 is a course of action. I'm about that. I'm about that action, boss. I like course of action. I like strategy. And I ask the question, and it's good to write down our questions when we interact with the Bible. And we can find that when we talk to people. You can talk to Pastor Roland. <laughs> you can talk to me. You can talk to your life group. You can find it in certain sources online. And we can point you to good sources online. But as I studied Acts chapter 13, I wrote down one of my questions. And that was, why on earth did they go to Cyprus first? Right, Seleucia was a port city just south of Antioch. You need a boat back then. That's why they went to Seleucia. But why was Cyprus essentially the first stop in the mission field? And one thing that I found as I researched this was that it revealed their overall course of action for the whole mission trip. Because the overall course of action, the strategic mindset that they brought into this, was that they would go to Gentile cities with sizable Jewish populations that had synagogues. And that would allow them to take steps forward in the mission. That's the last point. I'm saving it. But the other reason Cyprus was first was because Barnabas was leading the mission trip and Barnabas was from Cyprus. In that passage I mentioned earlier from Acts chapter 4 where Barnabas shows up, he gives his field to the apostles. It says that Barnabas is from Cyprus. And Barnabas, who's leading this mission trip, knows the, knows the culture, he knows the people, he knows the roads, he knows the paths, he knows the landmarks. He's probably got friends and family there. In fact, Acts chapter 11 tells us that some of the people who helped start the church in Antioch were also from Cyprus. So we're seeing that it's a strategic mindset that puts who before what. You might have heard that phrase before. It's from Jim Collins' leadership classic, Good to Great. One of the first axioms he puts forth is that we need to put who before what. And they're doing it here in the book of Acts. They're thinking about the mission of God with a strategic mindset. And one thing that a strategic course of action should allow us to do is be consistent. A course of action should give us the ability to participate in God's mission consistently. So when they went into these new cities and they walked into synagogues, it gave them a consistent place, people with a consistent background, and a consistent way to start. What does that consistent course of action look like in your life? What coworkers do you see all the time? Is there a group of coworkers that you eat lunch with every day? Are there other parents or friends that you've made because of your daughter's ballet class that you have to wait outside together while you're waiting for them to spin around in circles? Or sports, kids' sports, or a sport that you're in. Did you make friends? Um, did you go and play at the local Pokemon tournament and you've made friends because of that? Consistency. A course of action that leads to consistency. And eventually, this consistency leads us to the final element of effective mission, connections. We want connections. Paul and Barnabas went into these cities, and they started in each city at a synagogue. Because at this synagogue was people similar to them. They had a similar background in faith. They had a similar understanding. They had understanding that the Messiah was coming. We should expect him. And from those places, the connections began to expand outward organically because people began to raise their hand and said, I want to know more. Or said, I want to believe. Or talk to us again next week. 
and that they'd follow up and connections became relationship and relationship became discipleship. And those disciples became the people who carried the Christian gospel forward to what we have today. And clearly, they have brought the gospel to the ends of the earth. So what does it look like when you hold this example up against your life? How effectively are you engaging the mission of God? I gave myself a three for a course of action. I go to a weekly sports card trade night, but that still needs to lead to connections, so I gave myself like a two on that. And uh, that gives me a total, I think, of 17 out of 25, which is 68%. Yeah, I want to get better. I want to get better. Some things, I'm doing well. Some things, opportunity to improve and further the mission of God and discover purpose as I participate in his mission. And the beauty of this test or pop quiz is that it's one of those tests that you can take over and over and over again. Did you guys appreciate those tests in school? I know I did. Because I took advantage of those things. And if I needed to get my grade better, even if I could go from a 24 out of 25 to a 25, I would try. Because the ability to take the test again, the grace to take that test again, gave me the safety that I needed to try. And the grace of God gives us the safety that we should be looking for to try and try and try and improve and improve and improve. And if each of us can find just one of these principles to focus on this week, then we can be more involved in the mission of God and discover purpose in him. And if all of us try to get a little bit better at just one thing, then we together as a Christian community can improve exponentially if we identify just one way to engage the mission of God more effectively. So when we think about the story of Barnabas and Paul in Acts chapter 13, we think about their message, the message of salvation, that Jesus came to save us when we needed him. We think about the mission that God has been on since time began to pursue people who needed him. And we think about a method and an example of how to do that. What causes your heart to burn inside you today? Whatever it is, that's probably God tapping you on the shoulder. I encourage you to respond to that. Would you join me as we pray and seal this time together? I want to pray for two things. First, if you're here and you heard that gospel message, the good news, gospel means good news, about Jesus coming to save us from sin and all of his consequences. And you want to say, I believe in that, and I want that to change my life, and I want to learn what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and walk with him. If that's you, and you want to respond to that message of salvation, say, Jesus, save me. Now, on the count of three, I invite you to raise your hand today. One, two, three. Anybody here? Anybody here? You want to say, hey, I believe that. I want to do that for myself. Praise God. Praise God. It seems like most of us are family here. If that's something you want to learn more about, Talk to whoever invited you. I'm sure they'd be happy to walk you through that. One more thing I want to pray for this morning. 
if you are listening to the principles of what it means to effectively engage the mission of God and you have an idea of something you can focus on to get a little bit better and find a little more purpose by engaging in God's mission, then would you raise your hand while I pray for God to help us get better at those things this week? My hand's up. I'm actually working on a few things this week. Lord, I thank you that you and your great love allow us to experience lasting purpose and participate in the mission that moved your heart and moved you out of heaven to come to earth and save us. And I pray that you would help us by your spirit to get a little bit better at that this week, whatever that is for us, whether that's being more involved in a church or in community or consistently praying and fasting and seeking you or in developing a course of action that fits our lives and gives us consistency or in forming connections with people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.